Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am very excited to be chatting with Margaret Wishingrad. Margaret is the co-founder and CEO of Three Wishes, a healthy, well, delicious cereal. Margaret has grown Three Wishes from conception to a national brand with retailers including Whole Foods, Sprouts, Erewhon, and many more in addition to a strong D2C arm. Before founding Three Wishes, Margaret was chief of staff at Big Eyed Wish, an ad agency where she worked with Fortune 100 to seed round startup businesses. After welcoming her first son, Ellis, Margaret realized the white space in the market for a nutritional cereal she wanted to feed her son. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Margaret. Hey, Margaret. Hey, Erica. How you doing? She's alive. She's well. Um, No, everything's great. Good. Good. We're on Thursday today when we're recording this, so we're getting close to the weekend. I'm very excited. I needed you to remind me that it's Thursday. So I appreciate you for that. And you're halfway through your Thursday. So you're basically done with Thursday. And so you just have one day left. It's Friday. Yeah, it's officially Friday. It's it's the weekend. It's officially the weekend. It's Saturday. Saturday. Well, before we get into the, the meat of the interview, I start every interview with a bit of a fun question. So what is something new that you learned in this past week? It could be work-related, personal-related. It could be a conversation you had. Someone gave you a fun fact, something in a book, whatever you want. But something new you learned in the past week. I feel like I learned something new like every 20 minutes that it's difficult for me to even think of what, what the newest new is. The thing that I've realized this week, I've done a lot of like inner founder thinking lately. And identifying what I don't know has been the most valuable thing for me. So like finding my weird little things, like I've been trying to get better at delegating because I think I'm a control freak. So it's, it's really just been reflecting on like what I don't know, how do I find the right people, whether it's a new hire or someone on my team to like currently help me with that is the thing that I've really been working on. So I'm going to twist it from what have I learned to what have I realized I haven't learned. Ooh, I like it. I like it. That's really valuable. I feel like that's the journey every founder has to go on at some point if they want to actually build something great. Because it's like, what's there's that one line. It's like, you can go fast alone, but far together. And I think that that's like really true. You have to realize that you have to delegate. Otherwise, like it's just going to burn you out and you're not able to do the things that you do best. Yeah. You know, it's every founder I think takes on so many hats. And for me, it's like, yeah, I have seven jobs right now, but like maybe... I'd be better if I had five and maybe I should find a way to delegate two. And that's, that's been my like learning this week of it's time. Like I'm at this stage of growth where I'm just like, all right, I have to pass the baton maybe. And that's been, that's been a part of my journey. But that's, it's a good position to be in, especially like when you can afford to do that. Like, oh wow. Okay. We're at a place where I can pay someone to do this thing I was doing so I can continue to level up. 
if you had to narrow it down, like what are the few things that you feel like are your secret sauce that hopefully at scale, you don't have to give up and that you can keep doing? If we just like dream world, this continues to grow quickly. Maybe we say you had seven jobs. Now you have five jobs, you know, in a few, couple of years, you'll have three jobs. And then maybe it'll just be like kind of two or three things you manage. What are those things that you think you're really good at? I love all the human connection ones. Like, yes, do I love all the operational and all the nitty gritty of my business? Yes. But I really love the human relationship part. And whether that's working with the person that makes our boxes or whatever it is, it could be the the buyer for our category. I really love getting to know these people and building a bond and becoming friends with them outside of, of working together. And that's been something that like brings me a lot of internal joy and fulfillment. So that's something that I want to hold on to. Oh, I love that. That's such a good answer. That's such a good CEO answer because that's what's most important is that like you can be a good storyteller. You can connect with people. It's the EQ thing. Like I think just it's always so underrated how important that needing to like that really is. And so that's awesome. Okay. So then you'll be successful. You're good. <laughs> okay. Um, check it out for the day. Bye you're done. That's so true. It's just like, it's the soft skills that are so overlooked. I think everyone's so like resume driven of like, you have the experience, you've done this. And like, those are sure all valuable, but one of the biggest parts I think in any business's success or like it's relationships and the ability to call some of my partners sometimes. I'm like, we're wearing a crunch and I'm like, Hey, I really need you to do a solid for me. Can you please do this for me? And they'll do it because we genuinely love each other as people. Like they'll come through for you. And that's been a really big learning for me. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. I, I think it's so important and those things are so hard to quantify. So that's also really hard. Like on the investing side of things, it's just it's like a feeling, it's like an energy. It's a, it's so, that's also, I think why sometimes it is so overlooked because it's, you're not able to always quantify that stuff, but maybe you can, like when you're in a crunch, how many people agree to help you? And maybe there are ways, but yeah, it's extremely, extremely important. So, okay, let's get into the into the journey. So we're going to go all the way back, childhood. Give me the like, where are we? How was it? What was our personality as a kid? What did we want to be when we grew up? What's like the childhood looked like for Margaret? Childhood was a 10 out of 10, would childhood again. So I grew up, so I'm an immigrant. I was born in Israel. I moved to Brooklyn when I was three. Grew up in a really just like, melting pot of culture, part of Brooklyn, South Brooklyn, really fun. And I, I don't know. I just like loved my childhood, but it's also, you don't know what you don't know. And that for me was just like my, it was just, it was a great time. It was a complete vibe. Like we would play in the middle of the street and it was okay. And like you played with your neighbors and we were really self-sufficient. Like I was probably six, five, six years old when my mom let me go to like the corner store to pick up like butter or whatever we needed. Like it was a real community. It was really fun to be a part of. So I loved my childhood. And what age were you when you moved over from Israel? I was three. Okay. So do we remember it or not really? Not really. Um, I feel like everyone remembers life from like five and on. And so for me, that meant coming to a new country, learning an entirely new language and just like immersing in life's challenges and making the most out of it. And so that that was a lot of fun. I grew up in just like a super working class environment. Everyone was just there to have a great time and enjoy themselves. And I don't know, it was, it was like really I have warm, fuzzy memories of childhood. But the thing that's really funny and unique is like I continue to think about myself growing up is I really, one, 
And it's like, I think about these conversations I had with some people, but I was like, I know I'm going to be successful someday. And they're like, how do you know that, Margaret? And I'm like, I just know it. Like, I do. I'm, I'm going to do it because I can. I could do those things. I could create success. Like, I could do it. And so many people were just like, okay, that's like a really weird way to think, Margaret. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you, but cool. And I come from like a family of entrepreneurs. Like my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur. So I really surrounded myself around a lot and like a ton of my other extended family. There are a ton of entrepreneurs. And so I surrounded myself around a lot of family businesses. So I think I always had this like desire to to work for, you know, a family business or my own business. And then when I was dating in New York, which is like a, a whole, that could be an episode in, in, it, in itself, dating in New York, the best, but I really mostly dated entrepreneurs. And like the only like people I was really into were entrepreneurs. And I think some people would be like, that's crazy because it's such a roller coaster to be an entrepreneur. And someone that would want to date an entrepreneur must be potentially even crazier. But there was something about this like need to prove things to yourself, to others, and just like this hunger that I thought like I just found so attractive and so cool. So I don't know. It's just like I've kind of surrounded myself with it by accident on purpose. I'm not sure, but I've I've really loved it. But other than that, it's you know, just diving into some of the other fun things. I, so growing up as an immigrant, your parents kind of want you to have these like safe jobs and positions in life. And so my parents were like, all right, you can either be an accountant, a lawyer or a doctor. Like those are, that's your multiple choice questionnaire answer situation. And I was like, cool, none. I wanted to really, I love hospitality. I wanted to have a restaurant. I love cooking. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to culinary school. My parents are like, absolutely not. That's a hobby. That's not a job. Like, no. And so obviously I, I didn't go to culinary school. I went to school here in the city. I went to Hunter on the Upper East Side because for me, I was like, all right, this is, I know that I don't want to, like, I want to go to college to do the college thing, but I don't, I don't have like grandeur visions. I'd rather work. So my entire time in college, I worked a full-time job and I would take my classes either during my lunch break from work, after work or the weekends. And so it was just work, school, and that was, and just like going out, whatever, whatever that time left over was. And so I loved working so, so much. So school for me was something I did to just do and make everyone happy, but my like real heart lied in work. And then the rest was just like, you know, figuring things out. I was in real estate, didn't really love that. Then my now husband, then boyfriend, Ian has an ad agency and I joined him at his agency, Big Eyed Wish. It's a creative agency here in New York. And I really loved operating it. That's kind of what I helped him. I like slowly started to help him and then just kind of got, became a partner with him. And then the serial kind of grew out of the agency. But for me, I realized how I love working so close to brands and growing brands and all these other things. So it was a fun little journey with a thousand steps, but it's just the whole full circle is parents told me I couldn't go to culinary school and here I am making cereal. So it all and out. being really successful, which was your dream of like being a businessman. Which was my dream. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you surround yourself with entrepreneurs, either subconsciously or consciously, like want to do that for your life, which is actually so great to have those examples. You then decide to go to Hunter and work full-time. What were those full-time jobs while you're at Hunter? And then we'll get into agency and stuff, but like you agree to go to college. I will say, I've not spoken to many people who had a full-time job during college. Was that just because pay the bills, super real about it? Was it, I love working? Was it an amazing opportunity? Like what was that decision like when you were starting school? 
it's weird. I feel my most self working. So before I launched the the cereal brand, I was at home with our firstborn for a little bit. And like, I kind of lost myself in, in just like thinking I could be a stay at home mom for a minute. It just, as my, I love my kids more than anything on earth, but like, I feel my most me working. So part of it was I wanted to move to the city, move out of Brooklyn. I wanted to have money to do that. But I also just like, I don't know. I really enjoyed working. So at that point in life, I was working in real estate on the property management side. And so I was doing that job. And when I felt, and I remember there was one morning I woke up because rent in Manhattan wasn't cheap. And it's not like I was making incredible money, you know, at 19, 20, 21. And I remember waking up and I saw like my bank account balance was low. And I was like, I'm going to pick up a side job. So I was like doing property management consulting for someone else in between all these thousand things. And it's just like, I've always just wanted, I've had this like weird internal hunger and I've just always wanted to just like learn more, do more. And it didn't matter what the job was. I just liked working. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I mean, that's also why you've had such success at the age you have, I think, because you are not afraid of working really hard. And I think that is actually kind of what it takes. I mean, you have to either like force yourself to like it or actually like it. Either way, that's the only way to be successful, in my opinion. Okay, so you're basically doing all these like real estate gigs and doing your classes. What are the classes? Like, is this really just to check the box? Is it like, we're going to do real estate? Are we going to do accounting? Are we going to do pre-med? Like, what is the college piece? I guess that sounds like it was satisfying your parents more than anything else. What was the class in, yeah. classes look like? So I started thinking I'm like, do the pre-med route and like took a couple classes and like at zero. Absolutely not. Like this, why? Why would anyone do this? And then I kind of looked at it and I was like, how do I optimize least effort, most output, most flexible schedule? And I'm so sorry if any of my professors ever listen to my podcast. And especially now that I'm like more involved with the school and kind of on the board. Sorry, guys, love you. But like, I did look for the easiest way out in a way. And so I was like, all right, what's the course? I mean, what's the major that requires the least effort and the most flexibility. And it was women and gender studies. And like, I clearly ended up doing nothing in women and gender studies, although the classes were fascinating and it was super fun for me. I was just like, all right, what's the, what's the path with least resistance and how do I get out of school so I can get back to work? And that's what I did. So wild. I mean, you're like, I'm a woman. What more do I need to know? I know what this is like. Well, but the classes were really so fun. Like I took the feminist perspective on pornography. Like that was a summer class where you just I'm like, we just watch porn in school. This is weird. This is interesting. We'll do this. Okay. Like a professor that's like, let's analyze it. And you're like, write an essay on it. You're like, okay. I actually, it's so funny. I joke with people now. It's like the nerdiest thing ever, but I I wish I could take college classes for fun. Like, I don't know if you feel this way because I know you love working. You know, in hindsight, I kind of do. There were like, so yeah. there were some really great psychology classes I took and some of these other things that I thought I really, like in hindsight, I really enjoyed. Obviously in the moment when you're just like, 1920 and you're like okay I want to do school I want to do work and then I just want to go like hit the clubs and hang with my friends you weren't necessarily thinking about the content that was in your classes but I did take some classes that in hindsight I loved like I took business law and that was my favorite class I took and now I'm like okay well it makes sense why I like this class but just like any of those business classes I wish I wish I spent more time and I really absorbed it versus like here study it spit it out on this test and then forget it 25 minutes later. Totally agree. I was never like that studious student type, but in hindsight, I maybe should have been, you know, I don't know. I think you can't, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. I think it's just like, as an adult now, it's just, you have a different perspective. At least I do. And I'm like, I just 
wish I could take a couple classes for fun. And the psychology, the women and gender studies, the like great professor for a business class, like those class, like I wish we could do that as adults. It's just like not feasible and also not cheap enough, but it's very expensive. I think that's awesome. So you were taking these classes, kind of fitting them into your work schedule. You're doing the real estate stuff. Did you do real estate property management stuff throughout your time or was there ever any like job switches throughout the four years? No, it was kind of like that was the stable thing that I knew would pay and it was like really easy for me to do. Because for me, it was like work, finish school, be done with this to then get to what I, in my mind, considered like real life. This was, it was like purgatory, right? This like whole phase of 18 to like 21, 22 was just like, how do I optimize, enjoy this experience, but then like get to what I thought was adulthood kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like thinking you're just going to wake up one day and like be given a pass to just be an adult. Like today's the day. Welcome. Yeah. And you like somehow are more prepared because of your path. So what happens after you graduate? So you have your degree from Hunter College in Women and Gender Studies. You've had like four years of experience. You had this amazing upbringing in Brooklyn. Like now what? I guess you live in New York and you try more jobs and just try to be an adult? Like what is that earlier? And you mentioned dating in New York. Like I would imagine that was before your husband. Like what's like the after college years? What do those look like? And what are you doing? What are you interested in? Where are you living? Yeah. So it wasn't like one day, like college was done and I'm like, okay, here we are. So probably like my last ish semester at school, I started to shift from like property management to more of the actual like brokerage side and started to dip my feet into that. And it's interesting because now I look at it in hindsight, there was like so many of these little soft skills and just like way of business that I probably took and applied to this side of, of my life. But I don't know that I loved selling someone else's property. I don't know that I love brokerage. And I think the fulfillment I have of selling my own product, I think I didn't, I didn't hate the sales part. I just didn't enjoy selling someone else's property. And it felt so like interchangeable. Like I didn't know that I necessarily brought value to that industry. And so here I I definitely feel so much more fulfilled. So I started on the brokerage side, started doing that, had some deals. And then I started to date Ian, my now husband. And his his business was growing at the same time. I didn't really love real estate. And he just started like CCing me. It was like super casual. Like, hey, I just need some help. Like just help me with my calendar. I was like, cool, cool, cool. I could do this while I do real estate. No big deal. And then it was just like a really weird natural transition. And I just joined him in the agency. And as I think about just my whole, like how timing happened in my life, it was just, I don't think I really thought about it. I was just like in the moment going, just going with the flow. Like, so Ian and I started dating in January of 2015. We moved together in June of 2015, engaged in November, married the following June, had Ellis the following April. So it's all just kind of like going, going, going. And I think sometimes I pick my head up now and I'm like, whoa, I have two kids. I'm married. I have a cereal brand. Like what is life? This is crazy. Things just happen overnight. I know. It's overnight. You're just going. I'm so head down and my blinders are so on that I'm just like, I'm just running. I'm just going. So it all kind of snowballed and life just happened. And it's just like the best experience. And I have obscene amounts of gratitude. I wake up and I'm just like, how this is the coolest. My face is physically on the back of a cereal box. Like if you told five-year-old Margaret that this would be her life one day, she might say, 
told you so, but she might also say, like, what? How? This this is truly American dream. And that's how I feel. I'm like, this is, I'm living my dream. The happiness and fulfillment this brings me is just like unparalleled. I think it's really refreshing to hear your perspective that it wasn't all overly planned and that even though like deep down you knew you were going to be successful and you would say that and you worked hard and you did all these jobs that like you just let things happen as they were meant to happen and you didn't overly plan, oh, this is the course, this is the business, this is the thing. You just were like from one day to the next, what feels like the right next move and like very naturally evolved into what it is now. I mean, you even said like the cereal brand came out of the agency. So it's like everything wasn't like necessarily deliberate. It was just like every day, like what's feeling right and what's kind of moving. I mean, I'm not going to dismiss the amount of strategy we put into things that happened along the way. Like it's not like it all, like it accidentally happened. There was all like a purpose on on all all fronts, but it's, you can't overthink it. You just have to go with it. And that's a lot of what, what I did. I was just like, all right, you're not good. Yeah. You might fail. Okay, cool. Figure it out. Go try it. And so that, I think that ballsiness pays off. I love it. And so you joined Ian at Big Eyed Fish, which is the agency. Big Eyed Wish. We, we keep the oh, wish Big Eyed- consistent. Big Eyed Fish is a Dave Matthews song that he modeled. Okay. So this is, we'll, we'll dive into this. Big Eyed I was Fish. Like- Yep, Big Eyed Wish. Never mind. Yeah, Big Eyed Fish. So Big Eyed Fish is a song and his screen name was Big Eyed Wish because he was loved Dave Matthews. And then he created an LLC after your screen name because, of course, who doesn't use their AOL screen name as inspiration for an LLC? And then he used the LLC, then the agency opened, and it just remained and it stuck. And so now it's Big Eyed Wish to this day. So thank you, AOL. Okay, so. Thank you, AOL. Big Eyed Wish. So like ambitious wishes. Okay, tell me the connection between the names and then we'll get into like the agency, but I, I'm just put that together. So wish, our last name is Wishingrad. And so when... Oh, right. And that's where the wish comes from. And so for the brand on the Three Wishes side, it was the three of us. It was Ian, myself, and Ellis, who was the inspiration for the brand. And so it was the three wishes, the three wishing grads. And then we had three wishes for the category. So it's a double entendre, which is high protein, low sugar, gluten, and grain free. I love. I will say, like, when there is a good name, it really sticks. Oh, the story's good. The story's good. It has to be good. Like, okay, there's nothing. You can feel it in your bones when you have a shitty name or a great name. And like, when you have a shitty name, you say it and people are like, what? Oh, uh uh-huh. Okay, you ready? You ready for the story? Yeah, I'm ready. So we had a different name before it. And then we had like a trademark issue because you realize that every word or sequence of words in the grocery store or literally any industry somehow has someone else trademarked for something else. And so we had a different name, didn't work out. And we're sitting, so we got married at the Boathouse in Central Park. And we're sitting with Ellis on like truly the most perfect spring day of all time. And we're sitting outside and we're sulking. And I'm like, oh, we don't have a name. This is so annoying. We have a creative agency and we can't even think of a name. Like what failures are we right now? And so we're sitting there and I'm scrolling through my own Instagram because where else does someone draw inspiration? So like I was going through my posts. And when I was pregnant with Ellis, I didn't tell anybody I was pregnant. It was just one day I just announced that I had a human. It was just like out of the blue. And so the hashtag I used, because back then people still love to hashtag things. And my hashtag was three wishes because there was now three of us. And so I'm sitting with Ian having a glass of wine, being sad about the fact that we don't have a name. 
And I look up at him and I'm like, Ian, what do you think about the name Three Wishes? And he was like, Margaret, there's not a shot in hell. This is available in the trademark world. Like, it's not going to happen. So he goes on his phone in front of me. He types it in. He's like, no, no, it's available. Like, the trademark's available. I have never run home so fast in my life to register for anything. Like, you could have told me it was Taylor Swift tickets at the speed that we ran. Like, it was not normal. And so, like, we went home. We, like, registered immediately for the trademark. And that was it. That was the name. And it just, like, it was the weirdest, like fortuitous where I was at a wedding venue couldn't think of something I'm inspired by my own Instagram like weird but it just happened and it was like such a perfect name because it was about us as a family but it was also about the three things that we wanted to change in the category and it was just like a complete world aligned kismet type thing and so yeah I love that story oh my god and it's also like you don't like we think of wish as something totally different. And so it's not immediately obvious that it's your name. Like obviously like Rebecca Minkoff named her brand Rebecca Minkoff. Like it's very obvious this is her name, but this feels more subtle too, which is really cool. I love it. I'm a big fan of the name. I've had my own fair share of like trademark issues and shitty names with silent letters, like PSA, no silent letters. (laughs) It doesn't work out. It's like a silent H in the middle of my, one of my companies. Okay. So we are at Big Eyed Wish not Big Eyed Fish. There's probably another agency called Big Eyed Fish. And you mentioned you were just kind of like CC'd in on things and started to take on more responsibility. But at its height, let's say before Three Wishes, like what was your role there? Like chief of staff at an agency, what were you doing day to day? Was it supporting Ian? Was it, you know, doing more strategy work? Like what was your work looking like? And did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. And that's when I realized, because I think from the world I came from, a job like marketing was so like, fluffy. And it was like, you, you go, it's vocational in a way, right? Like doctor, lawyer, whatever those things are. And marketing was just like, Oh, no one makes a living doing marketing. And you're like, that is very wrong by the way, but thank you, immigrant families, but you can do it. But the point was I, so I started to help Ian in all parts of the business. So whether it was like, whether it was operational procurement with large clients or whether it was managing some of the staff and the team that we had at that time. There were just like so many different things, but it was COOing of the agency in a way. And then I had Ellis, which was like the best. And I decided I was going to stay at home for a little bit to raise him. Meanwhile, kind of still helping out at Big Eyed Wish here and there, still running some of the financial stuff. And that's when I was just kind of like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I could do this stay at home mom thing. It's just, I love my kid. I love changing his diaper maybe, but I'm just not that mom that wants to hang out with other moms and talk about diaper cream and there's no shame to it. And for some people, they find fulfillment in that. And I just lost myself. I was like this, I don't, I don't recognize myself. And then Ellis was six months old and he started to eat finger foods. And one of those recommendations was Cheerios because you're, you've seen little kids pick Cheerios out of a cup and they're using their little, little crab claws. And I was like, wow, how archaic. People are still eating Cheerios. What was the last time I had a bowl of cereal? What's like, what's happening here? And I realized by spending a lot of time in grocery stores thinking like, okay, there has to be something else. Like we can't just all be feeding our kids Cheerios 85 years later. And you realize there isn't. And everything else in those stores. And so if you think about Whole Foods, everything in those stores is basically Cheerios, but with some marketing. Um, And now, now fortified with this or one gram fewer here or you know, added X, Y, Z. And 
I was like, okay, I, I really feel strongly about what I feed my kid, myself and my family. And I think we could do better. And I turned to Ian in that moment. I was like, I think we should do a cereal brand. And he's like, yeah, you're, yes, you're nuts. Let's do it. So that's kind of, that was the beginning. It took us two years to develop the product. In that time, we developed the strategy, how we wanted to launch, where we wanted to launch. We were developing the brand at the same time. We did all of this in-house, right? It wasn't like we hired a branding agency. It was us. So we were doing all of these things simultaneously, coming up with a name, scrapping a name, picking another name, which now I'm so grateful for, and just getting ready to launch. And then in late 20 of October of 2019, we ended up launching Three Wishes. And it's just been like a complete joy ride roller coaster since then. Wow. I love that you made this, you, you saw this problem and you made something happen. I think that's a lot of people, they don't do that. <laughs> they just are annoyed that there is something good to feed their kid or, you know, bathe their kid in or all the things that you realize as a parent, all the stuff that touches your kid and they just don't do anything about it. How, what was that process like between realizing maybe Ellis should have Cheerios and then being like, I want to start a cereal brand? Was it like an overnight thing? You just like walked in the aisle and you were like, we should do this. Was it consulting with the agency? Was there a process to it? Like, and then even the whole like going from being a stay-at-home mom to then now actually being like, I want to start something. Did you think of it as a project or a full-time business? Like that's a big transition from like, I'm taking care of my kid to like, I'm going to be a founder and do this and make it happen. What was that decision-making like? And how long did that take? That was minutes. Once, so once we, okay, so like, let's, let's dive into a little bit of the the process. So once we figured out that I had some interest in doing that, we kind of took it to that next step of just like understanding how do people feel about cereal? What's the category like? Is it in decline? Is like, what's, what are the things to kind of start building some strategy? Spoke to a ton of people. Everyone's like, yeah, we left the category. Why? Not enough protein, too much sugar, nutrient deficient, all of these different things. And that's kind of where that three wishes came from and how we started to build this little sandbox of like, what are the things we do want for the brand? What are the ingredients we want to include? What are the things we're like hot no on? And then that kind of started that process. And looking at the category, you realize it's dominated by three to four major players. It is most colors, most characters, most marketing, really price sensitive. So there's a lot of things about the category in particular that we had to understand before kind of mapping out what does it look like for us. So we kind of took all of those things into account and at the same time started to develop it and work with a food scientist and tell them like, hey, no to grains. No, I don't want corn. No, I don't want you know certain ingredients. Yes, I do like chickpeas. Yes, they need to be sourced from this type of source. And so like all of these different things that were really important to me as a mom, but like also something that I thought I would be super excited to share because I think a big thing for me is if you look at our ingredient panel, it is a very short list, vertically listed, huge font. Like that's something I'm so proud of is our ingredients. And I wanted to be able to, whoever I met, whether it's another mom or a buyer or whatever it is, be able to share something and be like, you know what that looks like as a whole food. You, you're like, it's something I'm so, so proud of. And so that the, the development was one of the biggest parts of this entire journey I remember leaving our, after our very first production, it was five in the morning, I was driving and Ian was at home with Ellis. I was at the facility and I called Ian and I'm just like crying. I'm like, we did it. We finally did it. And he's like, girl, we haven't even started. We didn't even sell a box yet. And I'm like, you're so right. I'm going to keep crying. Thank you. Bye. I love you. No, but it was like, that was such a big unlock for me because I think as marketers, the thing we realize is 
bad product and good marketing is still a bad outcome. And so for me, I was maniacally focused. Like we could have launched probably a year and a half before we ended up launching, but the product just wasn't there. And there's nothing, especially in grocery, I think with food, people just want it to taste great. So there's nothing worse than like a new st- a sticker that says like new reformulated, new formula, new product, new taste, try it. Like no one's going to give you a second chance. So I knew we had to launch really strong. And so that's kind of my core focus for a long time was the product. And then obviously as the business matures, like you shift that focus. But for me, it was make sure we have the best possible product and then go. And that's what we did. I love it. Well, it's also your product was your differentiator, like proving that you could do this healthier. Like that was your entire thing because you were going to have great marketing and they were going to have great marketing. And like, you were going to have beautiful colors, which I can see now. It's like, they were going to have beautiful colors. Like, you know, your box was going to be the same size. So is theirs. Like all that stuff is going to be the same. So your thing that you are saying is like, yeah, it can be healthy and it good. it's the product. Yeah. So it's like, you have to put in that work, even if it feels like it's taking so long. Because ultimately, that's the only thing, like you said, bad product, great marketing does not work, which I feel like is a line that should be like on a poster. Bad product and great marketing still is means you have a bad product. Very cool. Okay, so then you package it, you make it happen. At this point, what's like the pro- the decision between you going and doing this full time, being a stay-at-home mom? What, like, are you feeling so good about this decision? You're just like, oh yeah, we're going to go bring this to market. I'm getting back to my op self, my CEO self. Or like, were you having any issues around that? I think the biggest thing you realize is you can't side gig launching a cereal brand. That's not, it's just, or any, like any business of this scale, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm going to give it three hours a day. And that's, it's going to, that's not going to do it here. Like, especially as a food CPG founder, like it's all or nothing. You're, you're going full steam ahead or you're kind of not going. And so for me, I was like, do I want to do this? Once we validated the idea and we're like, okay, I think we're going to do this. We're going to put money into development because we put our own money into it. And once we're, we're doing that, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm going down that black diamond. Hopefully I make it out alive. Let's go. Double black, double black diamond. Double black diamond. Double. Like, I hope I know how to ski. You're a good skier. You may, I think you made it like at least three quarters of the way down or maybe you've made it down once and now you're going back up again. Maybe that's how we can phrase it. Like you keep going yeah. down, but you're making yeah. it. Yeah. What's it been like working with your husband. And I know this is probably something that you get asked quite a bit. I actually asked, speaking of Ashley, who we were speaking about earlier, who was talking about nuclear weapons. She's married to a found, you know, the founder of Riot Games, which is, you know, multi-billion dollar company. And so they're two entrepreneurs. And I had asked her a question about like finding your partner and like, what do you think about two entrepreneurs being together? Is that like a crazy idea or is that a good idea? And she kind of gave me her her own advice on that. But I'm curious what has it been like for you? Are you like, it would be no other way because you were only ever drawn to that type? Has it been the most amazing, fulfilling thing ever? Has it been challenging? Like, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little more about that, I'd love to hear that relationship. Oh my God, it's so much fun. Like the things that make us work as partners and like lovers make us work as business partners. We have a really complementary skill set where we're very similar, which I think is really interesting. We're both like really big, fiery personalities. And like when people meet me, they're like, oh, her husband must be chill. And then they meet him and they're like, there's two of you. There are two crazies here. Like that's insane. No, but we have the best time. Ian's my best friend. I feel so lucky to be able to do what we do, but together, like we get to sit and giggle and ride the ride. And it's not like I have to come home and be like, hey, babe, I had the worst day. And he's like, tell me about it. I have no idea because I have no actual, you know, context because I don't do the day to day. And it's just like so cool that we can struggle together. We enjoy it together. It's a really nice way to do the journey because 
entrepreneurship is super stressful. So to be able to turn to someone and be like, I'm sad today and him going like, get it is cool. So cool. So special. Not common. And especially like even if there are two entrepreneurs, usually they're doing different things. So the fact that it's the same thing is just especially cool. Well, so I think the thing that was really important, and this is something that came up when we were fundraising, was like, well, why would I feel comfortable investing in a couple? Like, what if things go like south? What happens? Like, you know, do you get, where do you lose focus? And for us, it's our second go around at doing a business together. And I think in the, on the agency side, we very quickly learned who does what. And like, yes, can those paths meet? Sure. Do they need to like intersect all the time? that might not be so healthy. So we, I think it's interesting. I'm a really, I'm a math brain and Ian's like a creative and a writing brain. And so we each understand who does what well and allow and embrace that, okay, Margaret should do this or Ian should do that. And I think that helps avoid a lot of conflict. And that's about it. We just like value each other's opinions and have a good time. Do we argue? Duh. I would be lying if I said we don't like argue about things all the time. Are there moments where we're like on a date night and anyone else would tell us we're deranged for enjoying a crazy, like a great dinner, but sitting and talking about work? Maybe, but we love it. We love what we do. So it's not like, it doesn't feel like it's work and like we have to shut it off. We just like love talking about the things we do and grow together. Oh, I love that. That's a dream. That really is the dream to just have someone that really gets it fully. I think that's the thing that it's so hard to even describe, even the way you're talking now about like loving working and loving building and all these things. If someone doesn't really get that and they aren't that way too, it can feel like you're talking to someone who is just incredible and amazing their own way, but they just don't see you fully. And so the fact that he, it does and is, is amazing. And I'm so glad that you found that. I'm so glad it worked out. I will say I may or may not have invested in couples previously at a previous fund and one is still together, but one couple did not work out. And that was like a whole thing. And the company therefore didn't work out. And I don't necessarily know if it was because of that or, you know, I won't go into details, but it's like a real thing. Cause like, you know, and so what's also very important is preserving your relationship despite the business, despite everything else. Cause like that has to be what comes out on top. But it's very interesting to watch the, like the couple starting a business thing. I, sometimes it's amazing and incredible and perfect, which it is most of the time I would say, but when it isn't, it's so hard. So that's, what's most important. There's something important. It's funny. Ian had this like in his vows, the day we got married, like publicly read this. He's like, Margaret wakes up and takes he verbatim said rectal thermometer to our relationship every day. Like that's what she puts first. And I think it's really important to take the temperature of these things because otherwise you're just going to sweep it under the rug and eventually it turns into like a whole mountain of problems. And I think that's where it becomes a problem. So we've learned to like fight fast, but also fix it fast and kind of take that pause and go like, Hey, something's not right here. Let's figure this out before we move on. And just like everything just becomes a tornado. So finding those blind spots, I think is really important for us as a couple and working through them and not just like bringing that anger to our workspace because it becomes really toxic really fast. So I don't know. I think that's a, an important part of like married founders. Yeah. I feel like you could, we could do a whole episode on that, like all your tips and tricks. Cause I feel like it's, it's actually something I see quite frequently now. Um, I don't know why, maybe it's like a COVID thing and everyone's coupled up and have been starting things at home. But yeah, I think there's like, there's a secret to it that you just got to, you know, nail it. Okay. Well, I could keep asking you a million questions, but I want to respect your time. So I have one final question for you. This is something we ask every guest of ours. And again, take it whichever direction you want. But if there was one piece of advice that you would give to every 20 something, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're not, like let's say they're in medical school, what's that one piece of advice that you would give them? 
I'm a very F the noise person. And it's just like, don't listen to these other, don't listen to the haters. Like do the same way I told myself I was going to be successful and I went for it, go for it. So if it become the best doctor or become the best janitor of whatever it is, just go for it. And just like the thing I, I talk about a lot actually is identify like when people as on and this specific to entrepreneurs, but when you're thinking about that business, make sure you're solving an actual problem and just be really good at what you do. And I think the thing that I am going in a million directions, but like the, I'm just sharing really? the bit just of wisdom. All the things, just keep all going. The things. I'm gonna give you all the things, but for me, it's like really f the noise, and I think that's what I brought to Ian when we started dating, and I think why he was so drawn to me as an entrepreneur. There's a lot of people give a thousand opinions a million miles a minute. And I was able to kind of help him put some blinders on and be like, you got this focus. Remember why you're doing this. Get really good at what you're doing. Because I think the biggest thing is when competency and passion overlap, that's success. So if you want to be the best doctor and you know you're going to be the best doctor, be the best doctor. Forget the noise. Put the blinders on. Focus. Focus is so overlooked. So that's my piece of advice. Stay focused. Stay sticking to the thing you set out to do because you could do it. I love it. I love it. And do you have any like tips or tricks you do? Like as an example, I now reserve my Wednesdays for like deep work. So like it's pretty rare for me to have a meeting on a Wednesday because I was finding myself only being able to focus on weekends because I was like so distracted doing a million things during the week. Or like there's like little things, you know, like some people do meditations to kind of get in the right headspace. Some people like need to journal down thoughts. Some people need to have like a coach or like, are there any things that you do for yourself to make sure that like you stay focused, you cut out the noise? Maybe it's even like ignoring certain social media. Like what are, do you have any tips or tricks that are more actionable too? Yeah, no, I think it's just like inherent to who I am. I have the ability to just like close things out and, and say no to things and I think it's just, I, I wish I maybe did have something that I could use as my coping mechanism that I maybe don't. I think that's the thing that I'm going to work on as a founder is like identifying what's that thing that brings me a little calm and a little more focus. But I'm just, yeah, I'm just like generally so exactly how you are. I, it's yeah. how I am. I don't know. I don't know why I made like this, Erica. I just am. I feel the same way. Like, I don't know why I am. I came out this way. You came out I, this way. I'm sorry. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. I don't know what you did, but you did something. I love it. Um, well, can you let everyone know where they can like find you on social, where they can find three wishes? Also, I mean, I said it in the bio where you can buy the product, but like, where is it best for you for people to buy the product? Like, give me the quick, the quick promo. Best for me, wherever you feel comfortable buying it. So we're at Kroger, we're at Safeway, we're at Costco, we're at Whole Foods, Wegmans, we're in a whole lot of stores. You can go on our website, which is threewishescereal.com. There's a store locator, or you could just buy it there and get it to your home, whatever feels good, or Amazon. And you can find me personally at MB Wish and the wish stays constant or on just at three wishes. Okay. And can you give me like, what is the flavor? Because I'm seeing behind you, you guys unfortunately can't see what I see if you're listening to this on audio, but I see so many amazing flavors, so many colors. Like, give me like maybe what's your favorite and then like what's the most popular that like you okay. can't get wrong. So the most popular is cinnamon, it's a killer flavor. I've gotten recently, like I get attached to the newest, we do a lot of seasonals or we call them LTOs and marshmallows, the one we launched back in March. I'm still eating it. It's my favorite flavor we've done in a long time. So marshmallow is a definite like must try, but cinnamon's also like a super solid fan fave. 
Okay, so basically get a cinnamon, get a marshmallow. So we do like a classic we know we'll like, and then like a fun, you only get it now, Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's such a hard question because it's like, which kid's your favorite? And I'm like, I'm like, I love all my babies, but I love marshmallow a little bit more than the rest of my babies right now. Like just today. Totally. And you also have to like get the cereal that speaks to you, you know, like whatever. And that's what's so fun about cereals. Like everyone has like a nostalgic connection to a certain experience and flavor that they've experienced in their childhoods. And so for me, it was usually like the honeyish profiles. So I really love our honey. And yeah, that marshmallow brings me back to that lucky charms, like love as a kid. So play to your inner child, whatever feels good. You know, it's so funny you say that because I also think there's like the nostalgia of what you loved, but also what you were not allowed to have. So like me growing up, Cinnamon Toast Crunch was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare even think about having something so unhealthy and sugary. So I would always you walk might by. might as well have had crunch. cake. It's no, like, really, it's so bad. It's so I would walk by and I'd be like, oh, I can't have it. But then like if I'm at a friend's house and they have Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I'm like, yo, I'm crazy. I'm having Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So by now- the way, this is I'm everyone's like, story. It's like my yeah. mom didn't let me have X and I had to eat it at a friend's house. Everyone has that friend that has the mom that allows anything. And that's why we love that friend. Like- my parents wouldn't buy me like toaster pastries or whatever. I'm like, Michelle's mom did. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so now I'm like, oh, like, I think I do probably want cinnamon in the morning. That's just like healthy. So anyway, I'm definitely getting a cinnamon after our chat and I'll let you know how it is. I'm very excited. Amazing. Well, this was so fun. Thanks for hopping on. And I hope the rest of your day goes smoothly. And I appreciate you being here. Anytime. This was a really fun one. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 